This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project and product delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha and this is our episode on Iterate to Great. Create a learning environment to raise Scrum team performance. I've got a very special guest on today. All our guests are special, but this one in particular, I'll tell you why. It's because Christian, together with his partner, is responsible for the zombie um, scrum survival guide. And that has been a constant companion <laughs> for me whilst I get to grips with my scrum mastery as almost as soon as I decided I wanted to switch my career from project management to, um, yeah, to scrum mastery to start off with and then agile coaching. Um, Christian, welcome. Thank you so much, Nisha. It's it's my honor to be on the Delivery Space podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. And I want people to know that, you know, and I, I probably don't speak for myself. I probably speak for a lot of Scrum Masters out there. Um, Scrum Master screw-ups is a thing and it's a big thing. And let's just be honest, we've yeah, all had them. Absolutely. Right. And so, like, to be honest about them, to see them written from someone else's perspective, who've also spotted these anti patterns, but also made mistakes as well, just humanizes the profession. That was the goal. I mean, in a way, it's like that was the whole aim of the book. And I, I always say, like, I hope it is as much fun to read as it was to write it. <laughs> we had a lot of fun writing it. So. Yeah. Christian, I would love for our listeners to get to know you. Would you be able to give a quick introduction? Of course. Yeah, so my name is Christian Verwijs. Uh, together with Barry Overeem, I founded The Liberators about uh, four years ago, I think we're at, or five years even. It's longer than I think always. Um, it's been super cool working with Barry, starting The Liberators. Uh, but before I started The Liberators, I actually have been a Scrum Master for a long time, I think for about 12 years, and still work with a lot of Scrum teams. Uh, but I have a background in software engineering, uh, which is still a big passion of mine. I'm actually building products all the time. Uh, but I also have a background in organizational psychology. And that's at least the, when I decided to do that combination, people were like, you're nuts. Why are you learning about computers and, and, and software and people at the same time? But now it actually makes a lot of sense. So it, it, it's something that interests me. And I'm, I'm very happy that the work that I'm doing and what we're going to talk about is a perfect intersection of those, of those areas. But that's a very quick uh, summary. Maybe also nice to mention I'm a, a Scrum.org uh, tr Scrum professional trainer. Um, and I've developed a professional Scrum Master 2 class together with Barry. Um, and it's been trainers are teaching that class all over the world. Students all over the world are learning how to be better Scrum Masters through our class. And that's always an amazing thing to know. So that's a, that's just a highlight of some of the things we've done. Oh, nice. Thank you for mentioning that because I want to advance my journey as well. I've done the CSM um, and PSM1 and I was considering going on and doing the PSM2. But if there are other sort of avenues for me to advance my practice, that would be awesome to mm -hmm. look into. Thank you. So... 
Christian, could you also, before we go into continuous improvement, which is what we want to talk about, would you be able to give an overview of your Scrum Team survey? Because I think that is going to be a nice scene setter for what we're about to discover. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the Scrum Team survey is a tool that I'm building together with Barry. Um, and the reason why we created that tool is because uh, as a Scrum Master, Barry is also a Scrum Master, um, we know how hard it is to, to improve continuously with your team. Um, so we wanted to give teams more direction. Like, what are the things that actually matter? Because one of the challenges with continuous improvement, and we can talk a bit more about that later, is how do you know where to start? There's often a million things that you can improve. And that was also the thing that I found the hardest when I started. Like, what should I focus on as a Scrum Master? And with the Scrum Team Survey, what we wanted to do was create a platform where it's easier for Scrum Masters to see, okay, these are the areas that your team is struggling in the most, and they have the biggest impact on your effectiveness. Let's see if we can make some improvements there. And we give a lot of feedback and helpful tips on how Scrum Masters can do that. And there are shed loads of Scrum Teams that you sent your survey out to, mm-hmm. to develop your model, right? Do you want to say something about that in terms of how you collected that data? Because yeah, sure. I, I don't hear about this enough in the circles that I mix in with Scrum Masters. Um, and I think this is scientific evidence that you have gathered. I heard one of you, I think it was you or Daniel, one of you described this as like this massive telescope that can help you see such a huge amount of data, but with so much clarity. And that stuck in my brain. So can you say something about that? Because yeah, I'm fascinated as to how you collated everything and then how you came up with your core factors for Scrum Team effectiveness. And then we'll go on to continuous improvement. Yeah, sure. So so what you already touched on is that uh, Daniel Russo, he's uh, he's a professor from the University of Aalborg and he's collaborating with me on a number of scientific studies. Because I have a background, like I mentioned, in organizational psychology, it's an academic background. So for me, it's really important that what I do in my work and in my practice with Scrum teams and organizations, that it's grounded in scientific knowledge. Um, And there's often this belief in our community that there is no scientific evidence for what we do, because for some reason we can't find it. But there actually is. There's a lot of scientific evidence for various things we do. There's also evidence that goes in the other direction of what we do here and there. It's also interesting. But one of the things that I really wanted to do, and Daniel's helping me with this, is to give Scrum Masters and organizations an evidence-based way to improve Scrum teams and Agile teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, the model that we developed is based on 13 case studies and uh, data from 2,000 Scrum teams from all over the world. And in that model, basically what we're saying is um, there are five core factors that are most important in shaping Scrum team effectiveness. And the first one is stakeholder concern, the degree to which teams know what their stakeholders need and what they want and who they are. Like that's also very important. Uh, The second one is responsiveness, the ability of teams to actually respond to those needs that emerge during their work, which is all the whole point of Agile, of course. Um, And uh, then there are uh, some core factors that provide a good foundation for that, which is an environment of continuous improvement, Uh, where teams can try new things, where there's safety to try new things, where they learn and take time to learn. Um, But also another core factor is team autonomy, which is the ability to which teams can make their own decisions and also have the skills to do the work they need to do. 
And finally, there's management support, which is yeah. very obvious to all, all scrum masters out there. But we actually see in the data very clearly that management support, strong management support, is very important in shaping the effectiveness of Scrum, but also agile teams in general. That's sort of a brief summary of, of our model. And um, does that make sense for, for you? Is it something that you recognize in your own work? Yeah, it really is. When I looked at it, um, I immediately got curious. I'm, I've got your model up on my other screen here, which is why I'm, I'm referencing it and looking over. And when I, when I first looked at this model, Christian, I, I could hear my inner dialogue thinking about, some especially your you've got your uh your five core factors but then you've also got your sub factors yeah. if i can call yeah. them those that are associated with them so how you can actually bring about impact for your for your core factors and what i loved is the fact that you put words to stuff that i would find hard to put words to um and especially as a junior scrum master, you're not going to know straight away if you don't have exposure to the environments that, you know, like continuous improvements also guided by an overall concern for quality. Yeah. Yeah. How how do your teams, you know, what is their view on quality? What is your stakeholder view on quality? Where, you know, do you have standards that you have to adhere to? Are there a bit lax on it when it comes to experimentation? What's the overall feeling about it? And why I'm bringing this up is that I think it's really important, especially for new Scrum Masters, those that are transitioning to the profession. Yes, it's not an entry level role. But it's good to have some scientific evidence so that you can start recognizing things yeah. in your environment. Yeah. yeah, I like that you're drawing that out. Um, that, that's also basically how we developed the model. But what, what I did is over a period of seven years, I had a different client engagements and I used a lot of those uh, teams at the, to, as input for the case studies. We just yeah. went looking for what are the typical things that teams do that are effective compared to those that are less effective. And yeah. that was the first version of the model. And we then tested the model with a lot of data to see if it actually, and that's the telescope sort of like the, the big telescope that you mentioned, like to, to see if it actually fits. And I think that that's the nice thing about the model is it, it, like you say, it gives a language to, to the things that I think we all see as Scrum Masters and it gives focus. It gives you focus on what, what to pay attention to. And not all of it's obvious. I mean, stakeholder concern. It's, that was the hardest one to name, to be honest, but um, that, that's also not super obvious for a lot of Scrum Masters that ultimately, if you're a Scrum team, you need to make sure that it's doing work for stakeholders and that those stakeholders are actually happy with what's being generated. But there are so many Scrum Masters, and I started out that way too, is where I felt like my role was primarily to make sure that the sprint retrospective is, is very effective and useful and fun and that we we have a lot of improvements that we identify but ultimately your responsibility as a scrum master is to make sure that the team can create useful outcomes valuable outcomes for stakeholders um, and that's what the model also very strongly shows yeah uh, as stakeholder concerns are central especially i'm working for a consultancy at the moment christian and that's the first thing that we have to care mm. about like, are we delivering value what are the outcomes that we're going for are our sprint goals aligned to our overall product goal are we on track right. it's a constant evaluation but again it also depends on like exactly as you said how did you start out as a scrum master um and you know, what were you exposed to in your environment? What did you pick up? What did you focus on? All of that matters. So focusing on continuous improvement now, why is it 
in based on your experience that creating a learning environment is essential for scrum team effectiveness and continuous improvement mm-hmm. why yeah well why it's i've had a long time to think about this and i took a long time to figure out why that is but if I look back in my own experiences as member of Scrum teams, but also as Scrum master and, and also as an agile coach supporting Scrum teams, the biggest challenge of all agile teams is that you run into so many difficult impediments where you're like, how are we going to figure this out? Like yeah. the company credit card is not available for us. So we cannot buy this. We cannot get a license to even a very simple tool or, um, we have a dependency with another team and we just want to have that one person be more available to our team. Like those impediments are really difficult. And then you have the technical challenges of actually delivering soft. Most scrum teams still deliver software, of course, not limited to it, but the technical challenges that come with being responsive and being able to quickly release and deploy high quality increments. That's super hard. And the only way to to deal with that is to learn how to improve all the time, to improve continuously and to have a learning environment where you can can make mistakes because that's part of learning, Uh, but also where the blast radius of the mistakes that you do make are small, (laughs) as small as possible. Um, uh, And and also uh, that there is a climate and a culture that encourages it because I've seen so many developers, and I'm personally also a developer, so I, I'm, I'm also mm-hmm. speaking for myself, that don't take pleasure in learning or don't feel like they have the time. So they don't feel pleasure because they feel stressed out because they have to do all this, they have to write all yeah. this code. But yeah. as a developer, there's so much stuff you need to learn all the time. And there's a, it's a lot of fun to learn all this, but in many organizations, that space, people don't feel that space. And that's a waste. Also for your own professional career as a developer, by the way. But I'm curious what your what your experience with that is. You know, you're making me think of times when I was a junior scrum master. I came on to um, work with a team, and we I didn't have enough experience, but I knew in my gut. So sometimes you you start developing intuition and you also you pick up on the vibe around you within your team, right? People needed a break. They were burnt out, but they also needed to evaluate. They had um, the, the application framework that they were working with was due an upgrade. And in those days, I, yeah, I'm guilty of running a spike. So I, I wanted to run a spike for this, right? But I also wanted time for my team. I kid you not, Christian, I had to fight to get a sprint's worth of time for my team where we could do a bit of a reset. All those activities and team bonding and resetting of our values and building our agreements and and really getting to grips with the outcome that we wanted from this investigation. Mm -hmm. So from a developer's point of view, rather than ramming them with, this is what we got to get done this sprint and this is what we have to work towards because we had like a, it was a you know public facing app that we were working on at that time to 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 fight to say let's keep the team back let's take them off this schedule for a bit let's take a sprint out in order for them to reorientate get some energy back get off this relentless mm-hmm. cycle of delivery 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 so yeah so it's making me think about that time and you you know, sometimes teams don't always get that. Sometimes in client-facing environments, teams don't always get that. And I think 
it's it's up to the scrum masters to or their agile coaches to make that case for it it's so important because it impacts the quality soon enough it impacts um the uh, the vitality in the team to go after new stuff mm-hmm. and also their engagement right yeah, and, and also the joy that you take out of the, the, yeah. the work itself. Like if you're in a code base that keeps getting worse and worse because it's there's no time to make good code and or, or come up with good solutions. The problem is it, it just takes all the joy out of work. And um, I, 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 there's always technical debt in all products that you develop. But if you can manage it and keep it small, um, yeah. then the work is also more fun. Uh, and, and that's always one of the things that Scrum Masters can help with, even if they don't have the technical knowledge, because that's not always available to them. You can yeah. still always ask the question, like, is it really necessary that we do this right now? Is there a simpler way to do this right now? Like, what's the smallest version of this feature? Like, those are the questions that you need to learn to ask uh, developers if they're not asking it themselves and, and create a yeah. culture where they ask each other that question. Yeah. And this is in reference to what you were talking about before. So like in our CSM courses, the PSM courses in the certifications, yes, you get told about the empirical aspects of the framework, right? You've got your daily scrum, you've got your sprint retro, you've got your retrospective and you understand those. And then you start getting more fluent in holding those you understand the purpose you start developing the language for those and to push your team forward doesn't matter how many you know even like a one percent improvement is is a big deal it's something but what you don't um there's a bigger picture i think for scrum masters to see there which is what i love from your model that you've highlighted it's the psychological safety it's the acknowledging hold on a minute if we don't create a learning environment if we don't create that space for our guys in our team gals as well how are we going to create that space for learning and create that um have more creativity within the team how are we going to get them engaged otherwise you know what yeah, you carry on the way you're doing and your retrospectives will be like a broken record. Exactly, yeah. It's always going to be the same uh, issues and the same improvements that are coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the, your team they will be asking for it, right? They'll be like, yeah. oh God, can we get off this hamster wheel, please? Yeah, and I, I fully understand in that case, I would feel the same way. Like, can we not do the spring retrospective because it's always the same conversation? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. What role do you think training, workshops, external resources can play in cultivating this environment? What kind of box of tricks would you recommend mm. a Scrum Master can um, can get in their tool belt? Oh, so many. Uh, but, th- but the biggest one for me, and, and that's a no-brainer for everyone who, who, know, who follows what we do with the liberators, is liberating structures. We're incredible fans yeah. of liberating structures. For those who are not familiar with it, there are facilitation techniques not a good way to describe it but it's the best word i have like it's a, a set of facilitation techniques to to create very small scale interactions that you can very quickly scale up and it, they're all designed there are 33 of them and they're all designed to be very easy to do so everyone could be can do them at least the, the first ones um and and they're they're designed to engage everyone in a team uh, be it introverts extroverts uh, other people um, so they, they work really well and they can really generate creativity and, and engagement in people. And that's the first thing I would say to Scrum Masters to explore and to try at least the simplest ones, like a one, two for all impromptu networking. Those are super simple liberating structures. Just do that. Just see what happens at the start of a sprint retrospective. 
and then a world opens up of possibilities. And we have a lot of free content that people can explore. Liberating Structures websites has, has a lot of uh, other examples. So that, that would be the biggest tool uh, from, from our toolkit. Cool. I have an experience to share. When it comes to one of your liberating structures, your facilitation techniques you design, 2050, is it? Yeah, 2510 solution, uh, 2510 20... crowdsourcing. Yeah, that's a nice Crowdsourcing. One. Yeah. I remember speaking to you, but I don't know if I, I did speak to you about this, Christian, but I was really nervous, right? In I was working with uh, four large squads uh, for a client and we had agile coaching taster sessions for them. And I came across this technique through a mentor of mine um, and I, I, to elicit quick feedback on what would what they would constitute really good items for a definition of done or definition of ready, but very quickly generate ideas from a large group. I was nervous about putting this in, but when I tried it, it turned out so cool. Yeah, it it turned, and I mean, it got some awesome feedback from the devs in the squads as well. Yeah, it works really well. Barry and I have done it with groups of 300 people and it works just as well. It's always very interesting to do, but the same goes for all the liberating structures. And that's yeah. something that if you connect it also to the topic for the podcast, like if you want to create a, a climate where you can learn all the time and where you can improve all the time, I think something like liberating structures is useful because it always tries to include as many perspectives on a challenge as possible. Yes. And that's that's super important for, for improvement and it creates safety. Like most of the liberating structures create safety just by the way they are designed uh, and mm -hmm. trust between people. And in the Scrum Team Survey, the tool that Barry and I are creating, that's based on the model, the scientific model also, we actually, yeah. all the feedback that we give to teams or most of the feedback is actually here, try this liberating structure with this particular prompt and then see what happens. So for yeah. example, for psychological safety, one of the, the examples that we get, one of the bits of feedback that we give is do, a, do an impromptu networking where you ask people what psychological safety means to them, what kind of behavior is associated with it, what's the opposite of it. Um, and th th those are just really good ways to, to start conversations and improve. Um, yeah. yeah. So in our tool, is a lot, there are a lot of examples in the tool also available, how to apply them as a scrum master with your team. Yeah, I love that. You've got a video somewhere of your crowdsourcing ideas. Um, and I watched that and I watched that thinking, how am I going to do this on the day? Just decided to be brave. Um, I had some encouragement from my mentor and went for it. I didn't regret it. Awesome. Um, so yeah, no, thank you, Christian. This stuff really helps. Now you're taking your the findings from um, you, the the factors that make uh, the, from your survey and the the fact the core factors behind Scrum Team effectiveness to another level with your coaching center offering. Can you talk to us about it? Because this is what I'm really excited about. Yeah, so are we. It's actually a feature that we've recently delivered. It's still sort of in the MVP phase, but it's all already available to the customers. We already have yeah. uh, quite some customers for it, which is nice. But the coaching center is designed to... Um, they, the Scrum Team Survey as a tool, we created it primarily because we want to put teams in a position where they can own their own improvement process and they can drive their own improvement. And that was sort of the ideal scenario that Barry and I had in mind. What we're noticing, however, is that there are a lot of teams that are asking us for help, like Barry and uh, Christian, we really like the feedback that we're getting from the tool. Can you help us run a workshop? Can you do a session with us on psychological safety? Um, mm -hmm. And it's not something Barry and I can offer because it's just a two-person company and, and we have a lot of other things to do. 
Um, so what we were thinking is, can we create an environment where other people like internal agile coaches from a large corporate or even external coaching agencies that, that, that hire coaches to their customers, can we create an environment where those help requests can bubble up into uh, a coaching center where they can actually be picked up by agile coaches or other kinds of supporters, could also be managers, to actually go and give help to those teams that need it. And that's essentially what the coaching center is trying to be. And it's all built on the data that we collect with the Scrum Team Survey. So it basically gives you an overview of how things are going at your clients, if you're a consulting agency, or your the different organizational units in your organization. And you can see where, where teams are having challenges. Like if there is a particular area where most of the teams are struggling, then you can maybe help those teams by developing internal workshops or a training program or doing a session with them. Um, and, and that's basically what we want to do with, with the coaching center to also help coaches deliver more effective help to teams um, instead mm -hmm. of pushing help onto teams, which sometimes happens. But this is more like teams are asking for it, <laughs> go and help them. You have the true pull factor. And what I like about it is you're using the data um, for meaningful impact across the teams, whether you have teams spread across your organization, or as you said, whether you're a consultancy who has a coaching arm. Um, Christian, I am going to look into this further um, and hopefully have you back to talk about some to. live case studies for where Coaching Center is used. Um, it would be awesome to, to see that. I'd love to. Uh, Christian, what would you say are takeaways that you would love our listeners um, to, to come away with from this episode? Mm. So that's a good question. It's always a hard question, but a good question. Like the first takeaway for me would be if you're starting as a scrum master, or even if you've already done it for a few for a few years, don't worry too much about applying scrum by the book. Um, it's, it's about actually satisfying your stakeholders and making sure that your team has a good time doing it, becoming more responsive. That's what it's all about. Um, and, and I wouldn't worry too much about doing everything exactly by the book. You can be, you can be a bit flexible with this. Um, what really helps with that flexibility is to have some grounding framework to determine what to focus on. And I think that the model that we created based on our own research is a starting point. That's just one example. There are other, other models out there that you can use, but that as a Scrum Master, I think it's helpful to, to use a model like that to focus your attention on the areas that matter most. Um, go and explore liberating structures. That would be a big takeaway uh, for, for me. Um, and, and also, if you want to give the Scrum Team Survey a try to start a more data-based uh, continuous improvement loop in your team, you can try the free version that's available for, uh, for all teams at scrumteamsurvey.org and you can give it a try and you already get some feedback. If you really like it, you can, you can get a subscription and get more and then there's the coaching center uh, and also a team dashboard where you can bring data from multiple teams together, but that's all for later. Let's start with the free version just to give it a try. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us for this podcast, Christian. We value you coming on um, and yeah, and sharing your experiences. Will you come back? Absolutely. I will come back, Nisha. It was a, a joy to be here. Uh, it's a joy to have you on, my friend. Everyone, thank you so much for watching and for listening. Make sure you follow us on our socials so you do not miss out on great episodes like this one. Bye for now. Bye-bye.